Hello, my name is Ken Forrest. I preach for the Boonville Church of Christ here in Boonville, Mississippi. If you are a regular visitor to our site and you watch our Bible classes on Wednesdays, then this may seem, well, nothing out of the sort for you. You're accustomed to being here. But for us, it seems like the pandemic, the virus has kind of taken a spike in our area. We've had some people traveling about that have contracted the virus. We've had some kids at camp that contracted the virus. And we're just not sure about how that's going to affect us here at Boonville. So our elders have decided that at least for the next few gatherings, that instead of having a Bible class here at the building, that we're going to go back to our online setting. I hate it. You hate it. The elders hate it. Nobody likes to have to have our spiritual feeding in an environment kind of like this, online. However, and I will tell you, it is a painstaking effort. The elders got together and weighed all the options and decided that for now the best thing to do is to weigh on the side of caution. So this Wednesday night and Sunday afternoon at five o'clock, which normally has Bible classes, and then next Wednesday night, we're planning to have the Bible classes online with no participation at the building. We're hoping that this thing can pass over and we'll be back on the 15th, which is a Sunday, 5 p.m. Bible class. So hopefully this particular setup isn't going to have to last too long. Now, listen, please don't get too upset about all this. I know some folks just are very passionate about their desire to be in the assembly, and and I'm one of them. I'm very passionate about that. I, I do not enjoy teaching a Bible class that was intended for a group to no one. (laughs) I I, I don't like that at all. Uh, However, uh, because we think about the safety of others and we want to do our very best to get beyond this time in our history, we're going to comply with that. So I'm going to do my very best to try and communicate through this means and you're going to do your very best to participate at home and you'll be looking up the scriptures with me and we'll just, as best we can, have a good time studying God's word together. Now, something that kind of gets lost in all of this pandemic talk and, and uh, the discussions about the virus is the very fact that there are people getting sick. And we need to be in our private prayers remembering those folks and praying for their healing and praying that this thing doesn't last that much longer. I understand that this Delta variant is highly contagious. So what our elders are trying to do is to stop it in its tracks, at least as far as we all are concerned. And I appreciate the care and the interest that they have in keeping us safe. I also know that school starting and our kids are rushing back to in-class settings, and who knows how that's going to affect things. So for the next couple of weeks, we're thinking we're going to meet this way, 
And we're going to take precautions on Sunday for worship, going back to our 8.30 and 10.30 settings with the mask uh, required at the 8.30 setting with social distancing, and then highly, highly suggesting that you wear your mask at the 10.30 setting and hoping that this won't last much beyond the month of August for our worship. If anything changes, we'll do our very best to get that information to you. But in the meantime, we have what we have. And I thank you for being patient and tuning in with us. Now, this is the regular auditorium class. And it just so happens that we have changed to a new quarter. So you have been involved in a study of evangelism. Now we're going to switch gears. We're going to be talking about two very well-connected things, the idea of stewardship and of giving. Before we start that study, let's have a prayer together, and then we'll, we'll share uh, what we have together from the scriptures. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to study together and to be concerned about the things that make up our work in your kingdom. And Father, I pray that you'll impress upon us the, the commitment that we make and of the prioritization that we need to make with regard to those commitments. I pray, Lord, that you'll help me to communicate your truth and that you'll be with those who hear it, they can receive it and make good use of it. Father, we don't enjoy necessarily studying your word this way in lieu of being able to participate together. We enjoy being together. We think you designed the church that way, as members of a body. However, we're in unusual circumstances, and we pray that these circumstances won't last very long, that very soon we'll be able, once again, to come together to rejoice that this physical threat is gone. In the meantime, we pray that you'll be with those who have contracted the virus and who are sick right now. We pray for their healing recovery. And we pray as much as is possible protection of our members. They'll not face the debilitating results of the virus. Just encourage us and bless us as we try to seek instruction from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about stewardship and giving. The first half of our study together, the first few weeks, we'll be dealing with stewardship generally. Oftentimes, when you hear that word stewardship, you immediately think, oh, they're going to be talking about giving. Well, don't worry. Yeah, eventually <laughs> we'll get around to that. We'll talk about giving and about the privilege and blessing it is to give. But I want, us to, I want us to nail down this idea of what it truly is to be a steward of God, uh, the blessing that is inherent in that. I want us to start our study with a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found 
faithful. Okay, the one who is to be faithful in this text is, is the steward. Now, what is a steward? Well, a steward is someone who has possession of some other's things. In other words, if I'm a steward, I have taken possession of things that aren't actually mine. I am not the owner. The things that I've taken possession of are owned by someone else. And the expectation of the owner is that I am going to be faithful. What is expected of a steward is that he is faithful. So all the things that the owner, in our case, the Lord, all the things that the Lord has invested into our lives, he is expecting that we are going to use them faithfully. If you are a child of God, you truly are a steward of the calling that you've received, of the opportunities that come into your path, of the knowledge, the abilities, the resources, every single blessing that the Lord has put into your life. Now, through the course of several weeks, we're going to be looking to one degree or another at, at all of those aspects. As regards our calling, we will examine specifically the idea that we are stewards of the mysteries of Christ. We are stewards of the calling by which we have been called related to the gospel. We're also going to talk about all those opportunities that come into our lives. Those opportunities, the doors that are opened in which we can act and we ought to be motivated to walk right through those doors. We want to stress the importance of gaining as much knowledge as we can so that we equip ourselves as God's children that we especially uh, impact the world through the preaching and teaching of the gospel. And the abilities and the resources that we have in our hands, the, the responsibility that we have for the instruments that God has placed in our hands, we want to act with efficiency. We want to act with due diligence to be sure that what God's invested in us is not wasted. Every single blessing that the Lord, the true owner of all things, all those blessings that he has put into our hands, he expects us to use to his honor and his glory. Now, there's something about stewardship that I think, at least for tonight's study and probably next week, is foundational. And that is, if I am a steward, I have to make several commitments. Tonight, we're going to talk about the commitments that we make to God, the commitment that we make to a spouse, our husband or our wife, the commitment that we make to our children, the commitment that we make to a job, our vocation, and finally, generally speaking, the commitment that we're making to good works. Okay, so a steward, he makes his commitments, and we're going to be looking at those five categories. And then those commitments have to be prioritized. As I'm growing, as I'm going along as a steward, I'm going to see that God brings different things into my life. And 
some of those have heavier weights than others. That's why I listed them in the way that I did. I tried to prioritize them according to the weight of the responsibility or the commitment that we are making in our stewardship. So the first thing I want us to consider is that we are stewards who are committed to our God. Now, I want to break each one of these categories down into three different ways of looking at the commitment. The first thing that I want us to do in each one of these five categories that I listed is I want us to, to focus on the big picture. Uh, when I was in college, I, I had an instructor who was, who was always emphasizing the importance of seeing the big picture. Because many times we kind of get involved in the details and we miss the importance of that detail as it pertains to everything else that's happening around us. So the first thing we're going to do is focus on the big picture. And then secondly, we're going to manage the details. Yeah, there are individual parts usually things that are important along the way that, that we've got to manage in order to keep the main thing the main thing. And then finally, I want us to go about sealing the cracks. What I mean by that is kind of like in the construction process. Uh, recently, my wife and I were involved in a, a building project, building a, building a house. And I notice as the construction project goes along that despite the efforts, the very best skill that a builder can use, just based on the materials and the properties of those materials, it just happens that no matter how precise you are with a particular work that you do, eventually there are going to be cracks. You know, you didn't intend it, you cut it perfectly, but maybe the wood swells a little bit or the, the various components, because they're different materials, they react to the environment in different ways and eventually you get cracked. So what the builder does is he applies a sealer uh, to some of those cracks in order to weatherproof it. Okay, the sealer tends to be more flexible and allows for the, the rise and fall of materials or the expansion and the contraction. You and I, when it comes to these various commitments that we make as stewards, we, we need to be pretty flexible. We need to understand that sometimes there are variations, but that we've got to be steadfast. Remember that word? If you are a steward, understand that one of the requirements of stewardship is that you be found faithful. Okay, so I'm thinking first in terms of prioritization of the commitment that you and I have made as stewards to our God. All right, let's think about, let's think about the big picture. I wanted us to go to a passage, Psalm number eight. Now, usually if we're in a Bible class and, I, and I've got lots of participants out here, uh, what, I, what I like to do is announce a text and then have someone in the audience uh, just to make sure that everybody's involved. Uh, read the text for us. And I don't know how that comes, that comes across online, whether you can hear them or not. But boy, when you're, when you're with the group, there's just something about everybody reading together a text. Uh, you understand, since there's nobody here, 
we're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of pretend like I'm just giving a lecture, but I want you, in your home situation, be getting your Bible and, and reading these texts, and also I encourage you to jot down the scriptures that I mentioned. You can review this later, and I hope it'll be a source of encouragement to you as you are a steward of the Lord. But Psalm number eight is a great text. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels, crowned him with glory and honor, giving him dominion over the works of your hands. Put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Oh Lord, our oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. I, I listened with interest to the description that was given on Sunday in the Bible class from Genesis chapter one in the depiction of God creating man and giving him dominion over the things of the earth. I thought that was a fascinating study and I was reminded of that when I considered Psalm number eight because Psalm number eight retells that entire scenario that God has created man, but he didn't create him over the angels, he created him below the angels, but he also crowned him with glory and honor. And he has given him dominion. He gave him dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, uh, everything that's creeping on the earth, right? Everything that exists, he has given him authority and reign over those things. I thought that was fascinating because here's the scenario. God made man a steward over his creation. It wasn't man's earth. It wasn't man's animals and creeping things. It was God's. But God placed man as a caretaker over those things, as a steward in that house. He didn't own it, but he had taken possession of it. And God's intention was that he would oversee that. But here's the thing, and this is the lesson that we really want to stress about it. The big picture of it, yeah, absolutely. God's on his throne. He gives authority to the man that he's created to oversee this creation. He has dominion over it. But, you know, that wasn't enough. Here's the thing. If you're going to be a steward, according to our founding text, you've got to be faithful. But let's manage the details here for a minute. I got the big picture, God's, God is the one I serve as a steward, but you know, a lot of times people aren't satisfied with being the steward and they get in their mind that somehow or other they're the owner of the stuff and that they can do with it as they please. You know, that was the case right there in the garden. In Genesis chapter three and verse six, Eve has been told, along with Adam, not to eat of that one fruit, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
in the day that they ate of it, they would surely die. That was, that was God's promise to them. Don't you do it. And it, we often think, well, one command, how could they mess that up? They messed it up in the same way that we often mess it up in terms of our stewardship. I've given you dominion over everything. That ought to satisfy you. But it didn't satisfy Eve. Eve wanted to be like God. So when she saw that fruit, here's what she thought. She thought it's good for food, it's desirable, it's pleasant to the eyes, and it's desirable to make one wise. And so she ate it and she gave to her husband and he ate it. Now, I can be upset about Adam and Eve bringing sin into the world. I can be upset about them breaking that one commandment. But what does that go to? That goes to the idea, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with God giving me dominion. I'm not satisfied with God making me a steward over the things that are in my hands. I want to own that myself. So as much as that was temptation in that garden to which Eve and ultimately Adam succumbed, so too the same warning for all of us. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. If I'm a steward of the things that God has put into my hands, then the temptations that exist in the world become more powerful when I am, I am dissatisfied with my position as a steward of the things of God. I have to ask that question of myself. A am I happy? Am I happy with the position that God has put me in and the trust that he has invested in me as a steward of his? Am I, as one of those founding words testified, am I truly faithful as a steward? Okay, so we've looked at the big picture, man, God, he, he reigns and, and look what he's put in place and what he's invested in all of us. And then start managing the details a little bit. And I realize, well, there's, there's a possibility that I can become dissatisfied and, and, and not happy as a steward. So I need to pull that together and I need to realize that there is a contrast between what the world is investing and what God is investing. I have to decide, am I going to be satisfied with what God's giving? what God's expecting, or am I going to give in to my own temptation, my desire? Let's bring it on down then a step further. It's obvious, it's obvious. We need some help about sealing the cracks, right? Because those cracks exist when, boy, I'm doing great. I, I realize all glory to God and this and that. And then all of a sudden you, you hear it in my language. Start talking about my this and my that. Whoa, let's back up. Jesus helps us, of course. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, no one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one, despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, right there it is. It's, it's delineated in about as strong an illustration and language as can be. I have, to, I have to choose. Am I going to be committed to God or not? If I'm going to be committed to God, then I am recognizing His authority, the things He's invested, He's the owner, as opposed to this desire for... Uh, he uses the word mammon, an, an Aramaic word that, that really represents things. You know, what am I committed to? Realization is I came into this world with nothing, and I literally will go out with nothing. But somehow or other, between those two comes the notion that I own stuff. And the reality is, no, I don't. But I can be a faithful steward. I can be that steward of God that realizes who does own those things and the expectation that He makes of me as a steward. Okay, now let's look at the second thing. Stewards are also committed to well, I was trying to go with priorities, so I'm going to bring it down to the spouse. They're the things of God. You say, well, Ken, what about, you know, what about Jesus? What about the church? And I'll, uh, uh, That's God. I, I'm a steward of the things of God, and that's in that realm. Now we're bringing it down. Commitment to God, I'm going to be committed to, well, my spouse, my partner in life. What, what would be the big picture description of that arrangement? Well, how about Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33? That, that's actually kind of the summation of a bigger study, but in a summation, you, you really get the big picture of the whole thing. In other words, I said all these things in order to make this point. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, well, there's the story. Here is the big picture of the commitment that the steward is making to the relationship that he has with his spouse. As regards the husband to the wife, the husband's commitment is to love the wife. Now, this isn't just a generic, oh, hey, love ya. <laughs> this is a, and here's our word, it's a commitment. In fact, the commitment is so great here that he is to love her as he loves himself, okay? And then the second aspect of that is that the wife is to respect her husband. And the, the idea in all of that is if, if the husband loves his wife as he's supposed to, then the wife, not... And, and kind of assuming the love aspect, but going, going deeper than that because there has to be a response. And so the response to the love that he is giving is not just love back, but it's also respect. That respect aspect comes because in this relationship, God has chosen one of the two to be the head of the relationship, to be, to be uh, the lead in that relationship. And so the wife respects the one that she has submitted herself to. That's the big picture. But how would we manage the details that go along with that? I mean, there must be a lot of details that go in between the idea of 
loving and respecting, this, this going back and forth. What's causing all of that motion in this committed stewardship? Well, you can now go back to verse 22 and, and you kind of get all the details and the, the comparison that God makes in this text between the husband and the wife, that relationship, the summation there in verse 33, and the comparison made with Christ and the church. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, now you have all those details to manage. Now you understand what it means for the husband to love the wife as himself. Now you know what it means for the wife to truly respect her husband. It is a reciprocating relationship into which children, Lord willing, will be born. And then that pattern that's established here, hopefully by demonstration, will go on and on generation after generation. The husband is loving his wife as himself. He even goes into the detail of it. He's willing to die for her. What woman wouldn't respect the man that would be willing without a thought to die for her? That respect aspect is seen in the very opening statement, right? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In the same way that you think about your submission to the Lord, and then that comes in terms of, well, we talked about stewardship. We talked about dominion a little bit ago. Talk about the sense that you've been placed in a position. You submit to your husband like you would to the Lord. Okay, so I recognize his headship over my life spiritually. Recognize the husband's headship over your life physically in this relationship. You are a, you wife, in that effect, are a steward over that which has been invested to you in this family. There are plenty of passages that talk about equality of men and women. That, that is not what this text is talking about. This text is talking about a structured hierarchy that is to exist in the family relationship just as much as it exists in the spiritual relationship between Christ and and the church, which is his body. The head dictates what the body does, just as the husband in that relationship with his wife dictates those various roles and activities. Again, as with the home, so was seen with the church, so is seen with God that we described earlier. 
It is a matter of dominion. It is a matter of oversight and possession. Take it a step further. Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Here, Paul's instructing Timothy or Titus about things that he's doing in the church and encouraging various members of that congregation, especially as people progress in age, become more responsible, have more experience. And as you become more experienced, you can share your experiences with, with those who are younger, who are behind you. In this case, the older women were giving instruction to the younger women that they should love their husbands, love their children, be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Okay, the word of God gives instruction as to how things are going to be, how they're ordered. Paul says, okay, Titus, you tell the older women, those who've been through life, they've had the experience, they, they know how things work. They've been submissive to their husbands. They've, they've been loved by husbands. You have them tell their wives, look, love your husband. Not just that agape love. This is the word phileo. You, you have affection. Teach the younger women to be affectionate toward their husbands. And similarly, to be affectionate toward the children. It seems impossible that anybody would have to be told to have affection for somebody, especially in these kinds of relationships. But whatever existed in that time that could make it otherwise, Paul is imploring Titus that in the midst of whatever circumstance you find yourself in, just make sure that these relationships are, are tidied up. Make sure that people have the right attitude toward their relationships. Specifically for us, we're thinking about being a steward and the commitment that I'm making to my spouse. And so if I'm making that commitment, I'm going to be sure that as a husband, I'm going to love my wife so much I die for her. And as a wife, I'm going to respect my husband, recognize his authority in the relationship. And not, not only that, but also I'm going to have affection for him and for the children that are in this relationship. Now... We've kind of seen the big picture of that. We've brought it down, looked at some details. We see there are you know, some specifics here and responsibilities that I have. But Ken, you know, how do, how do I seal the cracks? For instance, here's something that happens a lot today. Uh, someone's a child of God, they're a Christian, and they fall in love with someone who's not a Christian. Well, you know, how, how can I be the steward of God that I need to be when I'm in, in this marital relationship with someone maybe doesn't have the same values that I have or it certainly isn't as yet a Christian. I mean, is, is there something I could do? Because to me, that would really be sealing the cracks on this deal. Well, I'm thinking about 1 Peter chapter 3. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arrange the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Okay, God looks at you. What's he expecting? Well... I know what God's expecting. He's expecting me, no matter what situation I'm in, what relationship I'm in, to be a good steward. 
faithful steward. Right. So you're going to maintain your Christian demeanor, right? You're not going to try to impress your husband who's not a Christian with your outward effects. That doesn't mean you shouldn't comb your hair or wear jewelry or dress nice. It doesn't mean that, but it, that's not the priority here. As a steward in this relationship with your spouse, your priority is to exemplify in your life the commitment that you made to the Lord first, and now the commitment that you've made to them. And in light of that commitment that you've made to them, you are going to remain pure. You're going to have the Christian disposition at all times on display. And as a result of that, you may, he says, even without a word, win them to the Lord. We're all stewards of God. Now, we're going to stop now. We spent plenty of time together in this study, and I don't want to wear you out. We'll save the rest, the other three components for next week. But I want you to just kind of chew on this for this week. Look, God's made some investments in you. Uh, there's that calling called by the gospel, your salvation. There's that to attend to. You're a steward of that. Oh, make sure you protect it and use it wisely. But also, kind of in the categories that we're looking at here, there are the opportunities that come your way. There's the knowledge that you have in the Word of God. There are the abilities that God has, has granted you. There are the resources that have come into your possession. Every single blessing that the Lord has put into you, He's expecting you to use to His glory and His honor. Let's pray together, and then we will be finished for this evening. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege that we've had to study your word together. And I pray that I've had some thoughts that can be impressed upon our minds. I hope, Lord, that I, I laid them out in a logical and understandable way. I pray that uh, if we can accept these truths and, and strive to be the stewards that you call us to be, that we will be faithful in that capacity. Thank you for the privilege to serve but just, Lord, help us to serve to the very best of our ability. In Jesus' name, amen.